Hi, my name is Jerry Maguire and you're listening to Parliamental, the podcast that talks about Scottish politics from an insider's point of view. I'm joined in the podcasts by my co-host, one of the historic batch of 56 SNP MPs who were voted in in May's general election. She won the seat of Glasgow North East with the biggest swing in UK general election history. It's Anne McLaughlin, MP. Hi, Anne. Hello, Jerry. Thanks for calling me historic. Historic. You are <laughs> you are a historic person, and your name's your name's writ large. Ancient. <laughs> no, 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 no. Antiqued. Antiqued. Thank, uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so this week, well, the past two weeks, there's been a lot of chat about the EU referendum. There was a move to reinstate a 28-day purder mm-hmm. by Bill Cash. Um, there was an amendment discussed about 16-year-olds potentially voting. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting. I mean, I have to say the debates have been pretty good. Quite quite good to listen to um, and certainly our lot um, have intervened quite a lot and a lot of good speeches from the SNP folk. I think the really disappointing thing is that we're not going to have votes for 16 and 17 year olds in the referendum and I thought that was quite shocking that it happened uh, on the day that the Scottish Parliament voted to allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote in uh, every election that they control. So 16 and 17 year olds won't get to vote but even worse is you know, those over the age of 18 who have, uh, are European citizens, but not um, British citizens, are not allowed to vote. So you've got people who've lived and worked here for decades, pay the taxes here, can vote in other elections, but they're not going to be allowed to vote in this election. And it really upset me to see the Labour MPs trooping through with the Tories to vote against that. Um, they were Some of them were had forgotten, I think, because they weren't in the chamber, and they came running past us in the chamber uh, long after we'd voted. And it was just awful to see it, you know, because I just think it's there's no other reason for that than some form of xenophobia. Yeah, it's an interesting angle. The Scottish uh, independence referendum was initially sort of discussed in terms of blood and soil, and it was an, ultimately a civic referendum. There was people who lived and worked in Scotland. So it's interesting that those criticisms that were initially laid against any potential referendum have actually come true for the EU referendum, where if you're not British, you don't get a vote. Yeah, well, Philippa Whitford actually um, stood up and spoke about that. Her husband is German. He's, I think he's a GP in Ayrshire and he's been here 30 years. He's not allowed to vote in this referendum. And she stood up and made the point that this was becoming a referendum that was based on uh, nationalism, the kind of nationalism that they accused the SNP of and the Yes campaign of. But as Philippa Whitford pointed out, you know, everybody who uh, we could extend that vote to got a vote and it really it really engaged people from different nationalities in 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 the whole process and made them feel more part of of this country so ugh, it was just really disappointing that they did that mm-hmm. and a real contrast like you're saying about the 16 17 year old vote passing in the scottish parliament you know <laughs> half an hour later unbelievable i i didn't realize it was that soon but i knew i knew it was the same day unbelievable that uh, you should see that contrast and and you know i mean i suppose some people think our interest is only in showing up the difference between you know the the uk parliament and the scottish parliament actually it's not i would have been far happier the UK Parliament had voted to allow 16 and 17 year old adults the vote, then um, then give us the opportunity to show how much more forward thinking we are in the Scottish Parliament, but it wasn't to be. You said that the, the Labour backbenchers were obviously moving in different circles that day. What was the mood like in the House of Commons for that? Was it uh, was it tense? Did everyone know how they were going to vote? Did, did you know before you went in how it was going to end up? Um, no, we weren't certain that they were going to vote um, for the the 
I think it was a Tory amendment. We weren't certain that they were going to vote to disallow European nationals the vote. And we were all sitting there going, oh, are they actually voting to it? And we were quite, quite surprised. So I wouldn't say it was tense. I think we we're kind of getting used to seeing them vote with the Tories. Although they did actually, um, I should mention this, they did actually vote for one of our amendments. Can't remember what it was. Um, we were also stunned because <laughs> apparently it's the first time, uh, this is not absolutely certain, but it, it's likely to be the first time in two parliamentary sessions that they have voted for an SNP amendment. If you remember, there was a thing called the Bain Principle, which was sort of formulated by Willie Bain, my predecessor, where you, the Labour Party didn't vote for anything that the SNP put forward on account of the fact that it was the SNP, mm -hmm. not any other reason. Um, so that's, that's the Bain Principle. <laughs> quashed, um, hopefully, but yeah, one time they voted with us. But there's not really a lot of tension in there. Um, during the debates, there might be. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most interesting comments around that day was, apparently, I've got this quote here, Labour MP Barry Shearman said that the move to give 16-year-olds a vote will make a lot of young men and women more vulnerable to sexual predation than happens at the moment. <laughs> so that's how that's how bad giving the vote to 16-year-olds is. It's going to increase child abuse. So, you, you just don't know whether to laugh or cry at that comment, do you? Sounds just like a really fantastic quality of debate that happens. <laughs> yeah. <during> that. <laughs> and you've sponsored an early day motion with Patrick Grady. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, it's about the school transport issue. Glasgow City Council are taking school transport away from thousands of kids in the city. It particularly affects young people in his constituency of Glasgow North and mine of Glasgow North East. So we co-sponsored an early day motion. Basically, um, when the budget uh, was put forward by Glasgow City Council by the Labour Group, the SNP offered a suggestion that instead of putting the £3 million they were pro proposing to put into the reserves... They keep that three million, take another seven million out of the reserves, and and understanding that you have to have reserves or else you can't borrow. But you know that we could have had that ten million pounds, and then we wouldn't have had to. They wouldn't have had to have made the savings of a mere six hundred thousand pounds by denying transport. It's going to become a massive issue though because um, these parents, I've met with them and I've spoken to many of them on the phone or by email or on Facebook. They contact me through Facebook as well. Basically, I'll give you one example that sums it up for me. Parents in Milton, their children are now expected, instead of getting school transport to the high school in Barmulloch, All Saints, they are expected to walk, and it's an hour and 20 minutes. Now, I think that's too much anyway, but in a dark winter night, it's far too much. For an 11-year-old, not every parent's going to feel comfortable sending their child an hour and 20 minutes, you know, to get to school. So one parent said to me, well, I can't afford to send my 11-year-old on public transport. That's about £12 a week. And if you think about it, there's an awful lot of people in that area that are on very low incomes, either benefits or minimum wage. I can't afford to spend the £12 a week. So what I will do, the only option I have is to walk my child to school. But what about my kids at primary yeah. school? Do I walk they make them walk an hour and 20 mm -hmm. minutes there, an hour and 20 minutes back, and then they're late for school? It's, mm. it's a farce. It's utterly ridiculous. So we We've put down an EDM, but we'll be doing a lot more about that in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be working with the parents and other MPs and obviously our council group because they, you know, it's a council issue and they've been fighting it since before we were elected. What happens after? So you raised an EDM, 
you've discussed it, you've made that statement. What what would be the next step then? In, in terms of in parliamentary terms, an EDM doesn't actually change anything. All it does is allow other MPs to show their support by signing up to it. It allows the campaigners to get a bit of publicity and, and it's just one sort of campaign tool, if you like. So that in itself doesn't change anything. I mean, we are obviously and MPs, MSPs and councillors writing to the council. But as I say, the, the campaign is going to really kick off later this week. This is the last week of school. There will be a demonstration on the day of the full council group meeting. I can't be at that, sadly, because I'm going to be in Westminster. But all of those parents will be there. But there's other things that we're going to be doing, which I'll tell you about next time, or you'll find out about before the next edition of this. Since our last podcast, there's been a debate on the Scotland Bill. Did you attend it? What what happened there? Yep. I, I mean, I was in for uh, almost all of it. There was a debate on the Scotland Bill in, I'm not sure what the language is, but in a parliamentary session. And then, and then I saw in the bulletin that we get every week that it was being discussed in committee. And so... I'm not on a committee yet. I don't think any of us have been given a committee. So I went into the Whip's office and I said, well, if that's being discussed in committee and I'm not on the committee, does that mean I can be in the constituency that day? And the response was no. It, it is a committee of the entire parliament in the debating chamber. Right. It's a really strange thing. So I think it's just when they flesh it out a wee bit more, mm -hmm. but the speaker's not there. And so you have to refer to the, the chairperson and... Um, yeah, so it was a wee bit, um, it was interesting to see the, how differently they do it. Um, the debate itself was really good, really interesting. It gave a lot of our SNP MPs the opportunity to make the first speeches and, and they did an incredible job, all of them. I've been really surprised by that. Our, our kind of stars went first, the people that we think are going to be stars of the parliament. And and I thought, well, okay, you know, there's other people less experienced, but they've all been really, really good, mm -hmm. really impressed. But the debate itself was great. Um, the outcome, not so great. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah. the vow has been reneged on. We now don't have permanent status for our parliament, as was promised. Was there an amendment to mean that there'd be a double lock, that the Scottish parliament could only be dissolved if both the Scottish parliament agreed and a referendum in Scotland sort mm -hmm. of agreed to it? And that's been not not voted through. Yeah, um, it's been removed because they know best. They'll decide whether we're having a parliament or not. Can't imagine them using the power that they now have to dissolve our parliament. But then I couldn't have imagined a lot of things that happened during the referendum campaign. So yeah. who knows? Uh, the point is, it's a betrayal of what they promised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where they could very easily have just sort of solidified the position of the Scottish Parliament. Like you're saying, the chances of them pulling it back are very slim. It would be a huge story. But why not take the simple step just to sort of reaffirm it a bit more as a Scottish institution and not a sort of purely devolved from Westminster institution? Mm. Um, also, I mean, full fiscal autonomy was voted down, apparently 309 votes to 60. <laughs> in the Commons. So that's interesting. So Scotland, um, Scotland's not going to get full fiscal autonomy, the thing that we've been threatened with. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's going to be such a yeah. bad thing and, that, and the Conservatives don't want Scotland to have full fiscal autonomy. That's quite interesting. Yeah, they don't They don't want us to have it because they, they, um, they need to look after us. We don't know what's best for us. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, their assumption, and, and I have to say, in this particular debate, I was quite horrified by some of the Labour contributions. I've got to say, I've got to know some of the, the I've spoken, not got to know, spoken to some of the Labour MPs, and some of them are fantastic. 
uh, particularly Jeremy Corbyn. Anybody listening out there that's got a vote in this, vote Jeremy Corbyn as the, the next Labour leader. But, you know, there are, there are others, many others that are really good. But I have to say there were some contributions from Labour MPs where their attitude was that it was almost like they were gleeful at the prospect that there could be this £7.6 billion black mm -hmm. hole mm -hmm. if we had full fiscal autonomy, because that proved their point that we couldn't possibly do it on our own. A lot of rubbish. Um, and, and none of them, what they don't seem to understand is that the the deficit would only be that if we didn't change any of the policies. Mm -hmm. The reason the SNP government wants control over those powers is so that we can do things differently to how the to Tories do them. Mm -hmm. The Labour Party may not want to do things differently, but we do. And it's only when you've got those powers that you can tackle something like a deficit of that size. But the other thing, I can't remember who it was in the SNP, but somebody got up and intervened on a Tory who was going on and on and on about this black hole that we would have if we had full fiscal autonomy and said, was the Tory aware that every country in the world practically has uh, borrows money mm -hmm. and is in debt and some of the highest performing economies in the world are in the most debt? And why is it that when it's called, when it's a deficit that the UK currently has, it's called a deficit, but if it's Scotland, it's called a black hole. Could we just sort of regularise that mm -hmm. and start referring to the Tories' black hole that they've created mm -hmm in the United Kingdom. I'd like to see that shut them up, but it didn't. <laughs> no. it's, yeah, it's a very interesting point about the black hole. And again, if if it's a sort of Helmenja attitude, then surely a black hole for Scotland's a saving for the UK purse. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's not quite true. No, their story is that they've got our best interests at heart and they just want what's best for us. And I have to say, you know, it's not really the, the, the my experience of the Tories ever. Um, I mean, Tories are famed for their, their compassionate, yeah. compassionate conservatives. Yeah. They've got a little tree logo. P particularly towards Scotland. Yeah, hug a Tory. <laughs> um, so they love us. So they're just looking out for us. You mentioned some maiden speeches. Um, I've noticed you've not made yours yet, Anne. When's that going to happen? <laughs> Keep telling you, I'm not a maiden. Um, yeah, I, well, in actual fact, um, I discovered recently that um, you don't have to make your maiden speech before you ask a question or make an intervention. So I tabled, I worked out how to table questions. Um, and it's DWP questions on Monday. So I, uh, you, you go into a ballot, basically. You go in and say what question you want to ask, and so does everybody else, and they pick out 20. I think they pick, they pick them out randomly. So I submitted a question uh, to the DWP, and I submitted a question to the Justice Secretary and um, both got selected. So on Monday, I will be speaking in that chamber uh, for the first time, questioning um, the DWP on uh, something to do with the CSA, Child Support Agency. And on Tuesday, I'll be asking a question about the cost of employment tribunals. The only thing is, it depends where you are in the list. And I'm quite far down the list for employment tribunals and apparently the further down you are the less likely it is mm. there'll be time to ask yeah. your question but it's tabled mm. i've also started to table questions written questions so i've put in a one written question which is to the dwp and it is what um assessment have they made of the ages of children whose parents benefits are sanctioned Mm. And so we'll, well, we'll see. I don't know when I get a response that I'll get a written response. And that may be something that I bring up in my maiden speech, which will uh, hopefully be before the recess. I'm planning it to be before the recess. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah, soon, soon. That's all I'll <laughs> say. <laughs> you are attending the SNP National Council. Yep. 
What's that? I had to Google it. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> National Council is a one-day conference. So, we, you know, we have annual conference in October. We have spring conference in March. National Council meets uh, once in June and once in December. And it's really to deal with any policy items that come up in between times. So, basically, it's the same as conference except shorter. And I am going to put in a topical resolution on the um, Tory austerity cuts and how completely unnecessary and wrong they are. I'll also, if I get it on the agenda, that's a topical. And it's topical because it comes the day after the big anti-austerity marches throughout Britain and I'll be at the one in Glasgow. So it, um, I'll also be talking, in, if I get that resolution on, um, about how we need the powers, the powers that would enable us to you know reduce the amount of austerity or stop it altogether which is what we plan to do so the national council is that so it's a policy forming body then it's sort yep. of how, how, how do you does that do you vote how many attend it um well i think every i mean our branch has got two delegates we used to have one so it's less people than conference obviously mm -hmm. so it's been held in the jewish center in perth so i would say probably about 400 would be mm -hmm. there and every branch has a delegate uh, or two or more mm. and the delegates can go up and speak Proven SNP our branch actually has a resolution already on the agenda and it's about food waste mm. and about bringing forward legislation that stops supermarkets for example chucking out food and saying it's on its day and you know we've heard all these stories about people who are homeless and hungry mm. you know not being allowed to take the food that's being thrown out. So it's, a, it's about, you know, tackling this obscene waste of good food and also putting something in legislation that, that means that they have to do something with it. Yeah, um, supermarkets, I think, have a social responsibility, not only through how they pay their staff, um, also their dodgy complicitness in workfare. Um, yeah. The, so... Well, then you, Jerry, could put forward a resolution to the next National Council or conference. I will take you up on that. Think about it before the 11th of July, because that's when we're meeting to discuss it. Okay. I think in France recently, they also introduced a, a rule where supermarkets yes. had to reuse food. And it is a huge, a huge waste. If you've ever been up early in the morning going through town or, or anywhere near a supermarket, you just see these bin, bins full it's of stuff awful. that's perfectly fine. You know. I, in fact, there were a couple in, I think it was Manchester, it was certainly somewhere in England, the supermarket sued them, took them to court for taking the food that they were throwing out. And it's just it's just ridiculous. So tell us more about the anti-austerity march that's happening in Glasgow today. OK, well, they're, they're happening all over um, Scotland, England, Wales and presumably Northern Ireland. Um, and it's a big civic. It's not a march, actually. It was supposed to be one. Now it's a demonstration in George Square, or as some people are calling it, Freedom Square, um, <laughs> after the referendum. Um, so, and there are speakers from various different groups and organisations. I don't think there's any party political speakers, which is probably a good thing. Um, and it's basically just against the austerity cuts that, that the Conservatives are, are bringing in because it's just obscene um, and basically just demonstrating their solidarity with people that are suffering after, you know, from the cuts. As you know, and I stalk you on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I see I what you're up this. to. And I've seen that um, basically the past few days you've been back up from Westminster. It have been a busy few days. 
It said that you were you're visiting a football project with Bob Doris. Well, Friday morning, uh, the first visit was to St Rock's Football Club, uh, which lies between Royston and Garngad and Germiston. Um, I that was great. They gave me a season ticket. It was really good, but it was fascinating. Um, I'm going to you know hear more from them, but it was interesting to talk to them about the, a lot of the community work that they do. One thing they did say, you know, they've got this. They've got the football pitch, right? But they've more importantly, they've got club rooms, and they allow other community groups to use those club rooms. Mm. So any community groups in the area that are looking for somewhere to meet or hold events. And by the, well, now I don't want to say this in case it's wrong, but <laughs> they didn't sound to me like they were charging much, if anything. Mm -hmm. They really just want to be an important part of the community, yeah. and they have been for a long time. So, And uh, Bob Doris came along to that as well. He covers the area as the MSP, and he knows them quite well. Then I went on to... Um, Postle Park to the Western Common Flats, where there's this really interesting project to bring renewable energy, replace the heating systems in the four multi-stories there with um, a renewable energy, which I don't understand how it works. All I know is they bore into the earth um, and they go down something like 300 metres. It's a long way anyway. Right. Basically, what happens is, uh, I won't tell you what happens, I'll tell you what the effect is. The effect is that it eradicates fuel poverty because um, where they've done this in England, and you would hope it would be the same here, although it's a wee bit colder here, the average bill for fuel for each household is £250 a year. Wow. That's five pounds a week. So um, I'm I'm really fascinated by it. Um, so I went up, I just went up. It was just basically to meet Queen's Cross Housing Association mm -hmm. and ICE Energy who are, uh, who are behind the project and just talk to them about funding and stuff. So I'm going to meet with the company again because I'm very, very interested mm -hmm. in, in looking at, you know, I know, I know from personal experience how awful it is when you're on such a low income that you're cold all the time and there's nothing you can do about it but um, it's going to be a lot worse when you have kids or you're older and you feel the cold more so yeah i thought it was quite an interesting project to go to and then i went to wallacewell primary school in rob royston from one end of the constituency to the other and the kids there sang welcome so oh, Honestly, the kids were amazing and the teachers were lovely as well. So, I mean, I know the school anyway and I know the, the staff and the reception. Um, but the kids uh, sang welcome songs to me and um, they had a project called Send My Friend to School. And it was, people should look it up on the internet, actually. It's about all the people, kids across the world who cannot get an education. And what they did was they made up 3D models. Now, I thought it was 3D models of world leaders. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was 3D models of themselves with wording on it saying what they would do if they were a world leader. Right. And they wanted me to come and collect them and take them to London and present them to David Cameron before he goes to the Global Summit. Mm -hmm. And I promised to do that. And then... <laughs> They were really good, these 3D models, but they had to get five kids to carry the boxes of them <laughs> out to the car. And I'm thinking, how am I getting these to London? Uh -huh. So I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to do it, but I've promised I'll do it, so I'll have to. And I ended the day 
um, well, I went back to the office and looked over some invitations and some casework. And then I went to uh, a care home in uh, Balornock. They had an open day. And so um, somebody I actually know who does a Patsy Klein tribute act was performing. And so I danced with some of the residents, <laughs> had a wee sing song and, and judged an art competition. So it was really nice, actually. I really do prefer Glasgow work to... London work, yeah. I think, but it was it was quite a long day, but very very satisfying. Sounds very heavily diarised. I suppose you have to be if you're coming back up. You need to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time, and you can't sort of just turn up or whatever's going. So, have you yeah. got someone helping you with your diary now to plan all this stuff out? Yeah, well, I've got um, and so I've got Annette Christie who works full time for me, um, and she's. Uh, managing the office and doing casework but we don't have an office yet so she's doing she's quite swamped with casework because we keep on putting in advice clinics and we get lots of people coming to them so we're going to slow down in that a wee bit anybody needs our help they can come to us and they'll get our help but we're going to have to slow down the number of surgeries at the moment until we catch up with ourselves so i've got an eight i've also just uh, asked david mcdonald to come and work for me david um, is one of the SNP councillors over in the south side, so there's no sort of clash with what he's doing. And he's fantastic. He knows everything. A lot of the issues I get are council issues. Mm. He knows exactly who to go to. He knows exactly what their obligations are. And it's really good having him there. I've got Mandy Morgan volunteering one day a week. She's a welfare rights expert and housing expert. And I've got Graham Campbell working two days a week. And his role is to um, do funding with local community groups. So I'm getting a lot of groups coming to me worried about losing their funding. And he's going to be working with them to ensure that they don't lose funding and that they open up, you know, the applications that they're doing. I've got, um, I'll have in the end four full-time staff, basically, and one part-time. And I've got two other people coming to work for me um, to do policy research and a senior caseworker, but they have to give notice in their jobs and so it'll be September before I get them. How would people get in touch with you if they wanted to speak to you about casework and things like that just now? The best thing to do really is just to Google Anne McLaughlin MP email. Um, I'll tell you it now, it's anne.mclaughlin.mp at parliament.uk. But the best thing is just to Google and my number, my London number, that's all I've got at the moment, and my email address will come up. Well, that's it for another episode of Parliamental. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParliamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. Anne and I will return in a fortnight to talk more about our adventures and what's happening in Westminster. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.